Thanks for listening to Making It Queer. Making It Queer is a Level Ground podcast. Level Ground is an arts and culture collective that is collaborating with artists to inspire empathy and friendship across societal divisions. You can support Level Ground by becoming a member for just $5 a month. Learn more about the perks of membership and sign up at onlevelground.org forward slash membership. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Making It Queer podcast. As you know, we are a Level Ground sponsored podcast. Uh, Level Ground is a, a nonprofit arts collective which seeks to build relationships and improve dialogue across societal differences. We're in a series of very special episodes of the podcast. Uh, we're reporting live in a way from Outfest and interviewing artists and filmmakers who have films playing at this year's festival in Los Angeles. And today we're absolutely thrilled to have with us T. Cooper, who is the director of the new documentary, Man Made. T, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we've briefed you a bit on the format of the podcast because this is kind of a special series where we're uh, needing to turn out episodes quicker than we normally do and wanting to drive focus to the films at the festival. We're going to do a modified version of question two, which is the, the what do you do question and really do a deep dive on uh, man-made. And But before that, I thought we could start with that first question to give our audience a sense of, of just who you are, a little bit about your life story uh, with our first big question, which is, who are you? Wow, that's a good question. I think I think about that every morning when I open my eyes in the morning. <laughs> wow. First thing. wow. Um, yeah, who am I? I'm, you know, a, a father, a husband, a son, a, you know, decent dancer, a pit bull, a uh, rescuer and trainer. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I, you know, I'm all those things first, but I also happen to be a transgender man, um, which uh, being a transgender man who has you know, been transitioned, so to speak, for several years, you know, well over a decade. Uh, it's a real different vibe than, you know, as than, than nowadays where the trans culture is really emerging and there's much more visibility around it than when I was, you know, figuring my stuff out. So um, it's been kind of interesting. I've just been doing all those things I just named, just living my life for a long time. And it's kind of interesting that now, uh, the transgender part of it, which was just kind of an addition is, is now a little bit more in the spotlight and, and folks seem to want to talk about it culturally and politically more. Right. And for your story, where you, you're based in Atlanta and New York, but where, where did you grow up? What was, what was kind of your younger life? Like, um, you know, moving in through school and kind of, yeah, just yeah. what was growing up like for you? Okay. So we're, yeah, I'm, we're going to go deep. Um, I was born in Los Angeles and, um, I, uh, went to college from there out in Vermont at a school called Middlebury college, which was a, a huge culture shock, but I really wanted to get as far away as I could. And I did, I could have gone to Maine, but you know, I, two, two States shorter. Um, and then I moved to new Orleans and I taught high school school and coached um, at like a private school, taught English and writing for a couple of years in New Orleans. What, um, what school? That was, it was called, uh, 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 oh my God, St. Martin's. <laughs> okay. It was I in grew up about an hour and a, I was, I grew up about an hour and a half north of New Orleans. So love that oh, city. 
Yeah, I um, yeah. It, it was in Metairie, but I lived in New Orleans proper, and you know, I was there for a few years. I waited tables too, which was great. Um, but I kind of always knew I was going to be headed toward or ending up in New York, and that's what I did. So, from New Orleans, I I was in New York. I worked in magazine publishing. You know, back in the kind of I guess I would say with the tail end of the glory days of magazine publishing, where you know they would at like noon on Fridays they'd wheel the alcohol cart down the uh, hallways. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> things have just decidedly changed um in in journalism yeah. but i did get to experience that that part of the the era um and i yeah and then i i also so all that time i was you know definitely writing nonfiction um and uh with an eye toward fiction and i actually went to columbia uh grad school for like an mfa in fiction writing and really started to get serious about that kind of storytelling in fictional ways um in print and so really my life started off as, and I would still identify as a novelist um, primarily and a fiction writer primarily who does journalism, television writing, and now documentary film um, as well. That's amazing. I was looking at your bio on the kind of the press notes and I was like, this, this person is just doing everything. <laughs> like, it's, it's great. So what, let's jump into the, the film here which is man-made, which is a feature length documentary that follows four men, all trans who are competing in the country's only, is it the country or the world? Only, I'm pretty sure it's the world. Yeah. All trans bodybuilding competition called trans FitCon. Uh, these, these men come from all different walks of life, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different races, uh, engaged in a variety of different, uh, uh, romantic relationships. And, uh, it's a really fascinating look at, I would call it's like a very subculture, right? Like trans bodybuilders. How did you find this? How did you find this community? How did, how did you stumble across this event, this story? Yeah. Well, when I was moving, um, my wife and, uh, our kids, we moved to Atlanta, um, because we, my wife's from the South and she has an, you know, that kind of love for the South that, well, I would say a love hate for the South, but we can get into that later. Um, but yes, <laughs> Atlanta is <Yes. laughs> really the only city you can live in. Um, I believe, you know, and get that urban kind of vibe. Like it just, it feels like you can be who you are here. Um, and I don't feel that in other Southern cities at any rate. So the reason we're here is, is is that, but also have a foothold in New York. But right when I got here, um, I heard from, I don't even, I think it was like from a trans person I met was, who was like, did you hear about this all trans guy bodybuilding competition? And I hadn't obviously. And the minute I heard about it, I was just so just fascinated and intrigued at, um, seeing some of the images of these guys' bodies, um, and what, they, I mean, obviously the, the, the journeys that they had been on, um, to, to get their bodies into the shape that they, they were comfortable, um, to stand on stage in a bar in like a tiny mankini, um, was just mind blowing to me. Um, I would never do that no matter what, if I look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I don't think I'd do that. Um, but oh, never, never. <laughs> I also grew up, you know, 
down the beach from Venice beach and, and, um, in the seventies and eighties. And I was fascinated by the guys at muscle beach who, who worked out there and, you know, similar attire and just that, that, that complete body transformation and that complete insistence upon making your life and your body be what you want, regardless of what society says or family says or culture. Um, and so that, you know, as a metaphor, um, bodybuilding is just immediately attractive to me. And so when I heard about TransFitCon, um, the first one ever had taken place and it was like in a bar and there were, I think just a few guys. And so I heard about it shortly after that. And, um, my first impulse was to write a story as a writer, um, you know, a piece of journalism. I hit up a couple editors who I'd worked with in the past and they were totally interested. But when I started talking to the guys and doing the kind of advanced work that you need to do, um, I just was just so blown away by, like you pointed out, how diverse and how different uh, their stories were. And, and not in just surface ways, but just, you know, so many different ways and versions of masculinity and trans masculinity being represented yeah by these guys who are coming and doing this thing that they just happen to have in common. Um, and, and what's so, what I love so much about it is that everybody is welcome there. Um, if you're an Arnold Schwarzenegger looking dude, like you saw the film, some a couple guys like Mason and Tommy, like they're, they, those are, you know, some solid dudes who, no, who actually also, yeah. And they compete in uh, non-trans bodybuilding. So, um, and there's guys who look like that. And then there's guys like Kenny who, you know, he hadn't even taken his first testosterone shot and um, he hadn't even really decided to transition the first time that he stepped on stage. So, and, and then everywhere in between, um, you know, racially, um, socioeconomically, relationship status, you know, gender uh, or, or, you know, sexualities, uh, familial support levels. There's just so many different um, geographies and, and, and places that these guys are coming to and coming from. And so I, I, I just love that, that, that all these different things were coming and meeting on stage and it didn't feel like a one-off, even long format uh, journalism piece. It really felt like it needed to be a three-dimensional, you know, multi-subject documentary to really get at um, the differences um, in the journeys that, that happened to lead the same place. I want to come back to some of those themes that you bring up, but I want to ask maybe one more kind of logistic question about the film. Uh, it was surprising, pleasantly surprising at the end to see that Taya Leone had signed on as an executive producer. How did that relationship come about and, and what did she bring to the project that, that you were most thankful for, maybe? Uh, yeah, so she, um, so Taya, so my first, uh, no, let's see, my second novel, um, which came out in, I want to say like 2006, it feels like a million years ago. Um, it, you know, you know how like People Magazine or those, you know, publications would be like, celebrities, what are they reading? And they asked them on the red carpet, what books are you reading? Uh, and so Taya happened to mention my second novel, which was called Lipshit Six or Two Angry Blondes. It's like a long historical saga about, uh, uh immigrant family escaping the pogroms in Russia. So it's like three generations of this family and one part of wow. the generation ends up in this small town Amarillo, Texas, where insanely my mother and Taya's mother both grew up. And um, my mother knew wow. her uncle and it was just kind of these weird you know, commonalities and we'd become friends. Uh, we became friends and been really tight ever since and have actually, you know, Taya's been super, um, present for, you know, my personal journey, so to speak. Um, I've said the word journey a lot, which I try to stay away from, but it just, <laughs> just keeps coming out. Um, so she's yeah. been super, you know, present for that. And so when I, we, you know, and so also my wife and I, um, collaborate, my wife's a journalist, um, but we also collaborate in television writing and we've written some young adult 
novels together. So Taya um, actually was an EP on a couple shows that we worked on as well. Um, one that we sold to Showtime, which actually didn't end up getting made. And then also this adaptation of our young adult series into a television series, which we're currently working on. But when Taya heard me talking about this and just, I mean, everyone knows how it's, you know, I'm not trying to moan and whine, but it's really hard to make a an independent documentary film when you literally have nothing. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she she knows that, and she heard that, and she was just so psyched about this story, and was like, "Hey, how can I help? Like, how can I help make sure that these stories make their way into the world?" And that's what she did. So you know, having a little, uh, you know, unfortunately, it sucks, but having a little bit more of a higher profile attachment to projects sometimes helps people feel. I don't know why but it gives it some sort of imprimatur or you know it makes it feel like okay we should care about these subjects more um so she definitely kind of lended obviously her name and she also lended you know you know actual support but also um you know figurative support and has just been a real champion of it and um she puts her money where her mouth is is willing to make some calls and and you know just help us get going when we when i was like out of money you know she helped me get a little injection so i could keep shooting and not miss these incredible moments in, in these guys' lives. That's so cool. I mean, I think that's, um, of talking to any filmmaker who hasn't been handed a studio budget, I mean, any kind of, I, I would think any filmmaker would be super grateful for that kind of support, both logistic and kind of emotional and, you know, for lack of a better word, spiritual support there. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it was great. That was great to see. You talked about uh, one of the, it's, it, I dare anybody to watch this film and not be, almost moved to tears by the bravery of these men. The four men that you focus on, no one's ever going to confuse them and their day-to-day lives for bodybuilders. Right. (laughs) I mean, like I'm not, I'm no, I'm no bodybuilder either, but like you said, I wouldn't stand on stage in a bar of 10 people or in front of a hundred people at one of these competitions, but none of their bodies look like their traditional bodybuilder. Yet the pride that they take in participating uh, and of being able to uh, kind of exhibit and perform in those spaces, it's incredibly moving. Yeah. So I I, I guess that's just a comment to say thanks for for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, it was really important, you know, I think for the competition, but also for me to, you know, just have everybody be met where they are. Um, you know, and the hard work that they've done, it's, 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 you know, as Mason says at the end of the film, it, you know, <laughs> we, those guys are lucky to even be alive, much less doing what they're doing, stepping on stage that night and, and being celebrated and, and whistled at and clapped for and stuff. So it's just, it's kind of, you know, looking at a 41% trans suicide rate, it's, it's just a miracle that, yeah. that they're there. Um, but then, you know, dudes like Tommy and Mason, like, you know, they are out there competing in mainstream bodybuilding competitions. Um, and so, you know, obviously there's the scene in, in, in the film where, where I go with Mason to one of those competitions and, you know, him, it's funny. And, and it's one of those moments of intersection where, you know, Mason's looking at me and I'm looking at him through the camera, like, holy crap, we're standing in a, a, a tiny hotel room with like 30 naked dudes with their dicks swinging and hanging out while they're getting tanned. Um, so yeah, like the, I just can't believe he loves that sport so much. He is so dedicated to it that he will put himself through that, uh, those harrowing moments to, you know, be naked tanning in front of, you know, these macho dudes. The, the scenes and the prep it, it for each competition with the tanning and the drying, it felt like a version of, 
beauty pageants that are like uh, like where the moms are with their daughters waiting, you know, and all this kind of absurd makeup and stuff. But watching this this juxtaposition of these of these trans men, like you said, with just like dicks swinging around everywhere, and then what do they call them? Packers. The, yeah. the prosthetics you can buy to shove down in your bikini. <laughs> it was it was hard not to laugh. It was super super funny. Yeah, it's nice. Um, it's nice to be able to have uh, some levity there too. And again, like uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this, but uh, as a trans filmmaker, there are you know there are very few of us who are allowed to uh, tell our stories, so to speak, and who are given the opportunity to. So I take that very very seriously, and I treat these guys' stories like my own. But then on the other hand. You know, because it's inside out storytelling as opposed to on the outside looking in at like, oh, look at this weird world. Like for me, like this is my world. It's not weird to me. So I hope and I think successfully that the storytelling doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel othering. So, yeah, you can joke about like a packer falling out in the shower, you know, at the gym. Not, it doesn't at all. There's an integrity to this film uh, that should be celebrated. There's a there's an honesty. There is a, the, the heart behind this. It never felt like these men were being exploited. And it felt like we were on, I'll use the word too, a journey with them to and through these competitions. Uh, I, I've wanted to, I was struck by the juxtaposition. You touched on it briefly, and I wonder if you could say just a few more words about it. The juxtaposition between bodybuilding as physical transformation um, and then the path that transgender individuals take to transform their bodies. The, the you don't really make too much about it explicitly. People don't talk about it explicitly in the film, which why I think it works so well. But using this film as a way to talk about those things, the way we change our bodies, the uh, going on a, a path of changing gender doesn't seem so far removed from what some of these bodybuilders do to their bodies to get ready for competition. Um, yeah, we, you know, look, the minute we come out into the world, um, you know, to the minute we leave it, we hope it's a long time, but from the minute you're here, you start changing and evolving. Like that's what humans do. That's what humanity is, is to evolve and to change. And if you're lucky and you have the opportunity to exercise your right as a human, as a body, as an entity to to do whatever the hell you want with your body, to love who you want, to do what you want with your body parts, um, to dye your hair, to get breast implants, to um, pack on muscle, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, I, I just, I just think that, um, and, and those are external things. I think there's all these internal things that we do and, and, and choices that we make to evolve and change as humans. And so it's always so mind blowing to me when people, um, are, are so scared of change because it, it, it's it's the one thing that's constant and and that sounds cliche but yeah. but it's just so when, when people get so caught up on how can you be this and then you're that you know I think that's why so much trans, transgender storytelling made by non-trans people is so focused on transition because it's like you know your eyes pop out of your head like boing like what do you mean you were born this and now you're this and then you have your surgery and you come out uh, you know, the other thing. And it's, it's just, it's so not like that. And it's so important for me, especially in, in this film, because you don't see a lot of storytelling around transgender male lives. In fact, it's, it's, you know, if it's covered, it's like a side thing, a side thing, you know, like a side friend in a show who is like a goofy guy who drops his dick on the floor in the bathroom, like in transparent or whatever. Yeah. So I think for me, if, yeah. if these were going to represent trans male lives, like for me, the diversity of lives and also the fact that their lives are not about transition. Um, now, some of them, sure, like a guy like Kenny, he just 
started his transition. So yeah, like his first shot were there for that. And a guy like Dominic, you know, when I first met him, he had, he had uh, breast tissue and he competed on stage and came, you know, he won third place with his chest intact um, and was planning to have surgery and come back and compete the next year. And so, yeah, his surgery was definitely a part of his journey, but you know, what's more part of his journey is meeting his biological mom, which, you know, all these other identity things seem to fall in place. But then here's this other whole thing. Like he thought he was one thing his entire life. And he meets this woman and realizes, holy crap, I'm something else. So I'm just saying all these bits of identity and all these changes and all these, these um, relationship changes that, that, that folks go to um, internal and external, you know, all that is there. And for me as a trans filmmaker, like I know that my life does not, um, does not, uh, it's not summed up by my transition, so to speak. It's not, it's like judging your whole life on puberty or judging your whole life on that time you were in Europe for a year or that time you were in jail for two months, you know, like everyone's life is not summed up by this one period. So it shouldn't be for trans people either. And it's, it's so simple to say, but when you look at trans storytelling, especially made by non-trans people, it's all about transition. So yeah, like, you know, the transitions these guys are going into going through have nothing to do. I don't think with gender, I think they're very universal um, things. Like you look at a relationship like DJs and Kenny, um, you know, when you sign on with someone like you're signing on for everything, like, you know, you might marry a banker, but you know, five years in, he might decide he wants to go become a fisherman in Alaska. And, you know, that's a huge lifestyle change. And, um, you know, that's, yes, it's written more, more kind of obviously when DJ and Kenny first start off as in a lesbian relationship and he starts to transition and she's not super cool with that because she's a lesbian and her identity is no less important than his. So I just feel like that's a metaphor for all of our relationships and all of our human relationships, whether family or friendship or, or lover, you know? I had a we I appreciated the honesty of DJ and the in the film and the way you respectfully conveyed that because that was one of the moments that I actually watched it with my wife last night and that's a that's a conversation we had you know after the film was what if what if something fundamental about who we are um pick pick a part of our identity like radically changed how would that affect our relationship you know and to watch that on the screen it, for something that we don't personally know was uh, the the space for conversation that opened up was very fruitful, you know, very uh, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, you know, I, I think about that all the time because in my, in my best heart, <laughs> in my heart, I want to say, you know, it doesn't matter. He's the same person. Um, and I, and I do feel that way because you know what, I'm the same person, but um, there are these, these external things that happen to our, to us in life. There's so many things you can name them, but one of them is what does me loving this person make me? And, you know, DJ, someone who's coming. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. Great. Like yeah. what, what is she, her, her, her identity, her whole body, her whole identity, her whole life, her brain is, Oh my God, I came out. I lost everything to come out. My family disowned me. I, you know, to be a lesbian, I lost everything. And now I'm going to, what am I going to go back into the closet and be an invisible straight couple walking down the block? You know, that that's very important to her. And, and that might not be my choice, but I completely understand why she might have a problem with that because her identity as a lesbian as you know, is not really necessarily changed by, by him becoming a man. This is that's a, incredible. I mean, it, it, it touches on something um, maybe before we move into another kind of uh, 
theme here in the film, but that touches on, there was a moment in the film where Kenny talks about being the way people talk to him about him and the way they name him and the way the film conveys the the power of being named and, and referred to the way you feel inside um, captures, I feel like captures the totality of that experience of, right. I'm not just trans male. It's, it's more about this, the holistic part of myself and having somebody be able to talk to you in that way and talk about you that way it's conveyed in this film in a way that I haven't seen in other films. before. That's great to hear. Um, yeah. So that, that was great. Was, were there elements in the film where there's stories uh, that just due to the editing process that you just didn't have time to get that you really miss that you wish could have been in there? Yeah, there are a couple little things here and there, you know, I was, I'm trying, you know, uh, my wife co-wrote this with me and Unlike a lot of documentaries, this one was really written. Like it, it like so I spent like nine months like writing it, and then you know we we really like we really structured it like you would a, a, you know a, a long nonfiction book. And so when you start doing that, and you start really making sure that one thing leads to the next, um, you know, you have to really take into consideration four subjects, a traditional, so to speak, sports documentary, right? Where you have four people heading toward one event and someone's going to win. Um, and so you're trying to build that kind of suspense, but you're also trying to, um, you know, get into four lives and that's really hard to do in an hour and a half. So yeah, like there are a couple things that, um, I really would have loved to include, but could not figure out a way to, for instance, um, Dominic, uh, Dominic actually, after he won third place and was going to be having his surgery, he, I don't know how it happened, but someone gave him synthetic marijuana and he overdosed and almost died. He was in a coma for like a week and I was flying. Yeah. Like he was like almost dead. So I was flying there the morning that, that, that he was in the hospital and I landed and my phone started blowing up. It was his partner, Thea, who's in the film, um, you know, texted me and it was just like, so that was my first filming of the whole film and you hadn't met him yet and you didn't know him yet. You know what I mean? It was very hard to be like, okay, this guy that, you don't even know is in a coma. So I'm just saying on the storytelling level, it was really hard to get that in, to get people to know who he was, care about him. And then, um, you know, work in this major thing in his life. And there were so many other major things in his life, you know, top surgery, meeting his biological mother, you know what I mean? Like there, it just, it, it couldn't yeah. anyway. So that's one of the things that like, it's funny because when he goes to events and people, you know, ask him about it, 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 you know, that definitely comes up because it was such a, a transformative time for him. Um, and, and him kind of learning a little bit better about how to, how to manage his life and admitting some things about substance abuse and blah, blah, blah. He's very open about it. Um, and wants to help people and say, <laughs> you know, don't mess with this stuff. Yeah. And obviously also there's amazing other dudes that I filmed and just like, you can't have, you know, six or seven main subjects. It's just too confusing for people. Like the guy who want. Oh, one sure. of the other, the other two guys who win, Cody, Sebastian, like the, they're amazing. Like I shot with, um, you know, Sebastian up in the Bronx, uh, for a few days, a couple days. And I just, it's just heartbreaking not to be able to kind of, again, go into more lives and, and, and see not only what brought them to, to stage, but then where they're going after being on stage is, is just as interesting. I liked how you chose to end the film by kind of pulling the lens back, so to speak, and, and including some more 
participants in the competition to show further diversity to to kind of it, it felt like you're kind of fleshing out the world so to speak and so um but it did feel like they were so compelling that you could have another film about those individuals as well yeah i feel that so way i feel like that was, that was a nice way to Oh, that's that? great to hear. I feel like I could do a docu-series, like do an hour on each guy. You know, it's just, yeah, there's so sure. much good yeah. story there. Your film is, is so timely and, and films of this nature are so important now. Um, and every day with shitty news and a jackass of a president and attacks on rights that have been gained um, in recent years. One of the things that I appreciated so much about the film, there was one line, and I believe it was Kenny's mother uh, yeah. who said complete understanding is not the point. Uh, love trumps everything. And around issue LGBTQ issues or uh, trans rights, uh, you know, if we can just kind of group these things together, for people who are hesitant to support it, for people who are downright antagonistic to it, there's often this, but what about the children fear? Like, how am I going to explain this to my children? You know, and I really love the fact that here's a parent who is saying, my job is not to understand my child, but to love them unconditionally. And when you compare the two, that seems by far the easier thing to yep. do. And so watching the film, it's just such a, it's such a joy to watch a family, not perfect, not, not cookie cutter, oh, we're completely cool with this. But a mom to say, you know what, I don't fully get it, but that's not the point. And it seems like the the parents or the individuals who do the, but what about the children? They just completely ignore, but what about loving people just for being individuals? You know oh, what yeah. I, mean? I, re I really appreciate that. Yeah, that's, that. Uh, that moment makes me tear up. Uh, you know, I've probably seen it a thousand times and it always makes me tear up. There's a few in there that are like that, but that one, especially because she in real time in front of your eyes is like, this is new to her as in a few weeks old and, and we're talking to her and I'm talking to her and she knows I'm coming from that experience too. And it was a real moment of connection um, and understanding. And, and, and even though there was a lack of understanding for her and she was still learning and still really struggling and probably still is like for her to just be able to, to be above that and say that that's not important, you know, is it's just, it's such a gift to offer your kid. And so that's why, yeah, the, the, what about the children thing is so insane to me because yeah. What about the children? What if you did support them unconditionally? Like think about how hard, how high they could fly and how many years they wouldn't have to waste, um, for fear of, of, of upsetting you. You know, it's like, it's the easiest thing to do is to accept your children because how could you love these creatures anymore? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's easy to hate people you don't love, yeah. you don't know and love, but God, you, these are the people you love more than anything in the world. It's the easiest thing in the world to give them some wings and, and say, yeah, go, whatever, no judgment. And then struggle yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You got problems. Fine. That's yeah. your problems, not theirs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, we're, we're coming down to the wire here on this, on this episode and don't want to take up too much of your time. We always finish with a big question, um, which is how are you making it queer? I, and I kind of set that up for you before we started recording. So I wonder if, uh, if when we ask that question, how do you, what's kind of your gut response about how you're making it queer either in your life and the work that you do? Are there threads to, you do a lot of different things. You've already said you're, You've done. Uh, you've been a journalist. You are a journalist. You're a, a writer, a filmmaker now. Um, are there threads to your work as well that that may tie into that bigger question? 
Oh God. Um, I know I was supposed to be prepared, but I'm, I don't have a prepared cool answer. I'm not making <laughs> it better. my answer even right better. now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You know what? It's about, I think, I feel like like everything I do has this, um, uh, I feel like I'm really looking at binaries and breaking them down. And I'm not saying that there are not binaries and gender doesn't exist. That's not the kind of thing I'm saying. I'm just saying that when I look at my body of work, it's, um, it's often, um, people on the outside trying to, to get in and the, the place that they're trying to get in is suspect in the first place, whether it is a, an immigrant, you know, family who is, who is trying to, find a better place. Um, and then that better place, you know, is, is not perhaps not as fraught, but fraught in different ways than the one that they're coming from. Um, you know, another book of mine is about a, a polar bear who, who is, um, forced out of his native habitat to, to live in Hollywood and become a, a famous movie star and filmmaker. Um, and, you know, but he, you know, he had to adapt into becoming a man and, but it turns out being a man isn't so great either. And so I just feel like all these, these ways that we are supposedly different, um, and, and these way these, these visions we see of ourselves, um, and, whether it's I'm, I want to look like you know Adonis or I want to look like Arnold or whatever, like these guys who achieve that, um, that's that has nothing to do with then who they become. Like, you know, a guy like Mason um, is is just an incredible husband and son-in-law, you know, and, and brother and uncle. Uh, but it has nothing to do with the fact that he literally made himself into the person that he wanted to be. He he saw the Hulk as a kid and wanted to look like the Hulk, but it, but the fact that he does has nothing to do with, um, with, with how good of a soul he is. And you know what? That's great. Like he learned that lesson and and I, I know I hope that, and I want that for, for all of us. That's great. See, we get the best answers to the questions and people think, Oh, I don't, I'm not, I'm not giving a good answer. (laughs) I literally have no idea what I just said. (laughs) (laughs) T, I want to thank you for joining us again. The the documentary is man-made it, as part of this year's Outfest, it plays twice, um, as far as I'm aware, on Saturday, July 21st. If you're in L.A., you need to check it out. It's at the Director's Guild at noon, uh, and then Sunday the 22nd at 4.15 p.m. at the Regal L.A. Live. Yeah, downtown. you got it. For people, who, for people who may not be here at Outfest, is there a, what's the future for the film? Are there... Are there any developments in the works where people will be able to see it? Uh, we're definitely traveling all uh, over through the end of the year at Film Festival, and our website, manmakedoc.com, uh, has, you know, festival dates and whatnot. And then, you know, as far as a wider release, we're still working on that. I really hope, I just want as many eyeballs on it as possible for people to see as many of these, these diverse trans stories as possible. So hopefully it will be uh, available wider, you know, early next year. Great. Thanks so much. We'll put the link to the site and the show notes and people can check it out and keep keep up to speed with where it's going to be and when. T, thanks That's for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks again and uh, have a great week at Outfest. Making It Queer is produced in partnership with Old Man Media. Old Man Media is a digital content producer and marketing agency that specializes in story. To learn more, visit oldmanmedia.com. Making It Queer is hosted by Ryan Parker. This episode was produced by Chelsea Halligan and Old Man Media, with story help by me, Samantha Curley, at Level Ground. Music is provided by Ryan Amador. Don't forget to subscribe to Making It Queer wherever you get your podcasts.